They offered you this city. And you refused it. Welcome to the Zanzizi Podcast with Rad Dad 2023 and today's special guest, The Beard, talking about Bioshock. Just saying. What a series. Gosh, howdy. It, the soundtracks. The soundtracks to these games are incredibly a chef's kiss they're the, they're perfect well full disclosure when i was i want to say it was 2007 lights at sea had had band practice and i went to the local video store and they had those 20 dollar budget games you could buy oh yeah because they it was kind of how they made extra money was selling dvds blu-rays I don't even know if Blu-rays were then. But either way, I saw, after hearing so much praise from my drummer about this amazing series called Bioshock, I went and I picked up an Xbox 360 and a copy of Bioshock. And true story, ever since then, it's been my number one all-time favorite video game series. It's the first game at least to me that the story was so good that i thought it was as good a story as say something like i'd seen in film or read in a book it was a james cameron movie basically it's it's yeah i I, and i i'm right there with you uh for me it was um i started playing them it wasn't until the second game, actually. Mm-hmm. And that was because my brother had been harping on me for a few years. Like, dude, you got to play got to play Bioshock. got to play Bioshock. And I was like, no. <laughs> Another first-person shooter? Yeah, well, exactly. Because it was like he was, 
he was also going on about Borderlands, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of sick of first-person shooters. He's like, but these are different, and I was like, you're wrong, even though I haven't played them, and God dang it, he was right. And it, well, the thing about it was, and that's, that's the thing, is that I think that games like that are the type of games that people who suffered from Call of Duty fatigue by that point yes. were ready to experience something different. Yes. And... And, and and it's there in spades. I mean, the thing that that stands out about Bioshock, especially if you started off on the first one, is um, the the amount of depth. Uh, I mean, ten thousand leagues under the sea, but <laughs> uh, but the story is just it, it hits you. It, yes, it, it's it's it it takes you on this adventure that you don't see coming. Until you finish it and, you, and you're just left flabbergasted by what you just experienced. True. And, you know, you continue on with uh, Board, or Bioshock 2, uh, which, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to. Is It's part of the story, but it's not. Yeah. But more importantly, when you get to Bioshock Infinite and you play that game and the DLC, which I can't stress enough, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. We will. Um, when you get this full story that's like, wow. Like, mm. I, I still, to this day, will praise the story of Bioshock as one of the best in video games, period. I agree. My number one franchise, my number one game. So, continuing on, Bioshock is a retro-futuristic video game series created by Ken Levine, published by 2K and developed by several studios, including Irrational Games and 2K Marin. The Bioshock games combine first-person shooter and role-play elements, giving the player freedom for how to approach combat and other situations, and are considered part of the immersive sim genre. Additionally, the series is notable for exploring philosophical and moral concepts with a strong in-game narrative influenced by concepts such as objectivism, total utilitarianism, and American exceptionalism. The series consists of three main games, Bioshock 2007, Bioshock 2 2010, take place in the 1960s in the fictional underwater city of Rapture. Bioshock Infinite is thematically and narratively tied to the first games and takes place in 1912 aboard the floating city of Columbia. Mm -hmm. After Infinite's release, Irrational Games was downsized and rebranded as Ghost Story Games to work on smaller titles, while 2K Games retained rights to Bioshock. The publisher announced that a new Bioshock game was in development by Cloud Chamber in December of 2019. The game series has received critical and commercial acclaim. The series has sold more than 41 million copies by November 2022, making the series one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time. A film adaptation of the series is in development at Netflix. That's incredible, but um, we got some breaking news here. Um, there's going to be some fights starting. Uh, Ryan's youngest, dearest daughter wrote me a note. Oh, okay. Stating that The Legend of Zelda is better than Bioshock. What say you on that? Well, she's got youth bias right now, but that's okay. 
I mean, The Legend of Zelda also has an additional 20-something years of history on it, but... In games. Yeah. Yeah. But... Two very different games. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm going to say very different games. Now, let's talk a little bit about Ken Levine. He's an American game designer. He is the creative director and co-founder of Ghost Story Games. He led the creation of the Bioshock series and is also known for his work on Thief, The Dark Project, and System Shock 2. Now, Levine um, was named one of the storytellers of the decade by Game Informer and was the 1UP Network's 2007 Person of the Year. He received the inaugural Golden Joystick Lifetime Achievement Award for his work. Levine was born in Flushing, New York, to a Jewish family. He studied drama at Vassar College, graduating, um, which is from Poughkeepsie, New York, Vassar. Uh, graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in drama in 1988 in Poughkeepsie, New York, before moving to L.A. to pursue a film career, writing two screenplays before he got into gaming. Levine used to work used to work as a computer consultant on Wall Street, but admitted he was not very good at it, describing his attitude towards the job as a slacker. It makes total sense now, um, the way that his games flow story-wise, that he was a... He wanted a, you know, career in film. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And it's a story. It's, it's such a story uh, game. It's, you know, this is a game where I think you could, I guess, theoretically skip the cutscenes, but you don't want to, especially because of the way it pushes an interesting narrative. It is interesting how the, the people that are, in the game industry that are huge into Hollywood or just film in, in general are the ones that have uh, the games that we almost unanimously say like, Oh, it's a phenomenal story. You know, Ken Levine with Bioshock, obviously we're praising that. Um, Kojima, mm-hmm. you know, he's another one that like all of his games, are like, Oh yeah, the story takes you places and it's great. And it's like, well, yeah, he may have not made movies, but the dude is like, he loves Hollywood. A whole lot. Yeah, and that goes back to him naming Snake Plissken. Right. You know, Snake. And and having that, it's just a love for their generation's stories. And Bioshock, to me, is a perfect story. And if I had been a Hollywood producer at the right time, it would have been a dream to have adapted that into a film Anything, uh, mm-hmm. it's a fun, it could be phenomenal as a book. Let uh, it go. Let let alone the story, but things like a major twist happening midway through the game. Yeah, interesting dynamics between um, powers that you use in the game, the plasmids, and it just it's such an atmosphere. I I I've always said like I love big band. I love. I think it's almost an unexplored subgenre of the steampunk 40s vibe. Mm-hmm. And this series is is like all up in the in the guts of that. Like it's just perfect for for somebody like me who's want, who always saw something like that. It's almost like a Tim Burton-esque eerie vibe to everything. Yeah. And it it permeates everything, and even to this day with the remasters and the updates, like I've heard that, you know, Infinite looks amazing now with like it Unreal does. Five. 
Yeah, I've been playing the... I, I downloaded the, the remasters on my PS5, and playing it on there, it's just like, wow. Still looks amazing. It's It looks like it just came out yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even Bioshock 1 and 2 were like, well, this looks just as impressive as it did back then. Totally. So Ken, obviously, he gets into it. He he founded Irrational Games in 97 out of former members from Looking Glass Studios. Irrational Games produced St- System Shock 2, a sequel to Looking Glass's System Shock. Levine pitched another System Shock sequel to Electronic Arts, but the publisher rejected the idea based on System Shock 2's poor commercial performance, which sounds crazy because of how well that game is regarded now. Yeah. While Irrational worked on other projects, Levine still wanted to create a successor to System Shock 2. Levine said, I have my useless liberal arts degree, so I've read stuff (laughs) from Ayn Rand, George Orwell, and all the sort of utopian and dystopian writings of the 20th century. And having developed the System Shock franchise, some of my first games, I felt that the atmosphere was a good one to set for a dystopian environment, one we borrowed heavily from System Shock. Levine has mentioned an interest in stem cell research and the moral issues that go around it. In regard to artistic influences, Levine cited the books 1984 and Logan's Run, representing societies that have, quote, really interesting ideas screwed up by the fact that we're people. <laughs> Makes so much sense. It does. <laughs> Everything that, like, because I didn't, I, I love the series, and um, normally when we're setting up these episodes to do for the for the podcast, it's like, I like I'll look into it a little bit, but with this one I was like, you know, I think the least amount I know, like outside of the game and the story, the better. Mm. And everything you're saying is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, totally. Well, this is a series I've loved, and I've played through the game so many times that I hardly had to either. It was one of those things where it was like, I looked it over, and I'm like, yeah, I know all this, but it's fascinating to me because it all adds up to just this really beautiful experience as a gamer. Something that when people debate our video games art, this often comes up in the discussion. So in regards to that, walking through Rockefeller Center, Levine became really interested. um, So walking through Rockefeller Center, he became interested in the G building in New York City. Levine was inspired by the Art Deco styling of Rockefeller Center to make a similarly inspired space that had not experienced in a first-person shooter game. Uh Uh-huh. The games in Bioshock series are first-person shooters with role-playing elements, which nowadays it feels like role-playing elements are in every game. With the success of Baldur's Gate 3, you're only going to see that more. I would disagree that it's it's an RPG in any way. Um, it, it, there's there's really nothing as far as... Um, like, you don't technically level up. You know, you can get the Eve and you can put it towards um, having your... Uh, like, powering up your abilities and whatnot. You use money to get, like, different ammo for your guns and stuff. But, uh, I, I mean, this is more of an action-adventure than it is an RPG to me. True. But in 2007, probably having anything that isn't just, like, power-ups and shooting this becomes, is true. oh, dude, that's role-playing, dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the first game, I guess specifically, it's... Uh, you, you do... You do... I you, guess you, you are t- playing as a 
person, if every big game in turn influence all the future games, I would say that you do have in a, in a style, in a way, you, you are making your way through a map that you're trying to explore. Yeah. So there's some exploratorial elements, but nowadays, again, like any Tomb Raider, any any Uncharted or anything like that, you are exploring the map. They're, usually they guide you somewhat so that people like me who are like, where the hell am I supposed to go? One might say that the especially the first um, Bioshock is a, has a Metroidvania. Yes. Because, you know, you have to have like certain um, uh, plasmids to get through certain spots. You just basically upload your consciousness after you die to another Vita chamber or whatever, as long as you've unlocked it kind of thing. So the first game, anyway, it comes out, and I want to discuss kind of the breakdown of the first game. Bioshock was released August 21st, 2007 for Microsoft Windows and Xbox 360. A PlayStation 3 port was released on October 17th, 2008. The game was critically very well received with positive reviews that praised its morality-based storyline, immersive environment, and Ayn Rand-inspired dystopian backstory. According to Take-Two's chairman, Strauss Zelnick, the game has sold around 3 million copies as of June 2009. Oh, okay. That's it? No, it's it's way more than that. Bioshock takes place in 1960 in the fictional underwater city of Rapture. Built in the late 1940s by business tycoon Andrew Ryan. What a cool cat. Yeah. It was meant to be a laissez-faire social environment for individuals to work, live, and prosper out of the increasingly oppressive hands of the world's governments and authorities. Dr. Bridget Tenenbaum... Dr. S- uh, Yai Sakong and other scientists discovered a substance called Atom, harvested from sea slugs that could be made into plasmids that gave the users psychokinetic powers. Frank Fontaine, a former gangster and businessman who brought black market goods to Rapture, found a way to harvest Atom by implanting the slugs in the bodies of young girls, little sisters, who you heard in the opening clip and profited from this. Ryan led an attack that apparently killed Fontaine and seized his atom production facilities. To protect the little sisters, Ryan created Big Daddies by conditioning and mutating humans into armored diving suits. Leading up to New Year's Eve 1959, a new figure, Atlas, rose from the worker classes to lead a revolt against Ryan, killing many and leading Ryan to mutate a number of his followers into splicers to protect himself, creating the downfall Rapture's Utopia. If that was, if James Cameron said that to me, I'd have been like, take all these monies and push the giant bag with a dollar sign on it. And that's what I have to wonder. Like, if they're making this into a movie, are they doing the first, like, Bioshock? I I want the first Bioshock to be a movie. It has to be its own movie. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do Bioshock 2, but, like, at the very least, make Bioshock 1 that can be contained. Mm -hmm. And... It would be incredible. I mean, even James Cameron, would you kindly make that movie? (laughs) Yeah, would you kindly? I say an eight-episode treatment on Netflix or HBO, perfect. Yes. Just do do, do, do it. In 1960, Jack, the player character, is in a plane crash, which 
I love the setup of the first game. The plane crash in the beginning. Yes. The way that it it even to this day looks in remastered. It just it sets the tone so perfectly because it's like you you have no control. You're in a plane. You crash. You you pull out of the water and there's flames on the night sky, and then you see as you turn and the plane slowly starts to drift under the deep dark ocean, a lighthouse. <laughs> Which leads to tomfoolery and hijinks. Oh, God dang. And all the fun. This is uh, so good. So near the lighthouse, which houses a bathysphere that takes the main character, Jack, to Rapture. Atlas contacts Jack to ask his help against Ryan's forces. Jack discovers the little sisters and is warned by Tenenbaum not to harm them, which is a choice in the game. Yes, that, is, can, that is the one... And this and this choice does affect the ending of the game that you have. Indeed. And it's very, very cool the way this happens. As Atlas continuously asks you around the game with a would you kindly. Yeah, it would be and you don't really catch on to it. It no. isn't until you know, like because he'll be like, hey, yeah, um, would you kindly go open this door so you can do the you same. Would think- you kindly pick up this weapon and attack? And you're like, okay, like, yeah, it's it's telling me to. I, I got to pick up this weapon and fight the things. It's re it's it's remapping your whole genetic system, boyo. It sure is. <laughs> yeah. And that and you don't discover that until what, to- like three quarters through the game, or is it at the end? The big twist. Yeah, that's about half. Is it half? Okay, it's earlier than people imagine. But I will say this: no spoilers. If you haven't played the game, if you're one of few that haven't, we'll allow you to go into it knowing that you're going on a ride. Yeah. And it's a fun, fun game. And whether you choose to be a bad boy or a good boy, you're going to have fun. There's two different endings from what I know. Yeah, there's only, yeah, there's only two. But as it, as it happens, you you go through the whole game there's bosses there's a final boss battle that's all I'll say about it i think it's a rewarding experience you should check it out i highly recommend it it plays perfect on any platform at this point now, and yeah the remasters they're always on sale i mean i saw um cuz we're actually we're trying to convince tj to play it and it's like yeah they have the uh, collection the remastered collection on sale right now for 9 bucks yeah, I had thought about having Sad Dad on this for the series, but I'd rather him come back on another video game episode and we can go. Would you kindly tell us what you thought of the Bioshock series? <laughs> Let's get into two now, though. With the critical and commercial success of Bioshock, 2K formed a new studio, 2K Marin, to produce a follow-up. Jordan Thompson, level designer of the first Bioshock, served as creative director and was one of several Irrational Games members to join the new effort. 2K Australia, Arcane Studios, and Digital Extremes providing additional support. Bioshock 2 takes place eight years after the events of Bioshock, where a new leader, Sophia Lamb, has risen up in the power vacuum after the death of Ryan and Fontaine and has uh, created a collectivist cult of personality. I do like the second game. I think it's a good game, and I think that the big sisters are a welcome addition. They're freaky as hell. Scream, and then they that sequence where she scratches the glass off and all the water comes pouring into the mm-hmm. room. 
it's scary. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely horror elements um, in all the games, and that was actually I was gonna say that's one of the the memories I have playing Bioshock One. Uh, one of the creepiest moments to me, especially because I had a I had a little newborn, a little newborn, yeah, and I'm, I got to the sequence when you go up the elevator and you turn and you see a light and you see a like a woman like reaching down into a crib and you're like, oh, this is like, cool. There's somebody else here. And then you go around and it's, it's definitely not what you think it is. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's like, oh, it's pretty early in the game too. Yeah. It's like in the first 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to, I'll break down a little bit more of the story cause it's really interesting. So basically, like I said, there's this collectivist cult of personality led by Sophia Lamb. Part of the events of Bioshock, Lamb used mind control to have the big daddy Delta, the player character commit suicide thus severing the psychological bond between him and her daughter, Eleanor, the little sister he was assigned to protect. Delta is resurrected ten years later by Tenenbaum and the little sisters and is told that unless he reestablishes his bond with Eleanor soon, he will fall into a coma or die once more. Delta fights his way through splicers as well as those loyal to Lamb, yeah, establishes his or sorry, loyal to Lamb defeats Lamb and sacrifices himself to help Eleanor. Tenenbaum and other little sisters escape Rapture. The game features a multiplayer component set during the Civil War before the events of the first game and featured downloadable content including a single single player expansion that was highly regarded uh, called Bioshock 2 Minerva's Den. Bioshock 2 was worldwide release February 9th, 2010, it was critically praised, though not as highly as Bioshock, and sold more than 3 million copies, though its performance was considered disappointing by 2K. Yeah, it was interesting, because uh, obviously in the first game, like we said, he plays Jack, and he you know uses guns and plasmids, um, whereas, yeah, he plays a big daddy, mm-hmm. so you have your drill arm <laughs> that is, like, is ridiculously powered. Hey. Benny, screw you! I think a Total Recall. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's cool to play as a big daddy. It know? is, and you feel powerful until you don't. And, right. You know, but it's it's, but it's 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 made more chaotic with the big sisters because they're more agile and scary and fast. Yes. And yeah. so now you're this lumbering oaf. And you're trying to move quick, but you're not really moving like she is yeah. or they are. It's it's an interesting dynamic. The remaster is worth checking out. And I, you know, overall, I still hold it high in the series. It's it's kind of like the original trilogy of Indiana Jones with these three, if that makes any sense to anyone out there. It's where you could look at the trilogy, and I think you and I would both agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the trilogy, it's... It's the worst one. And I, I say worst, yeah. but you compare it to other games, and it's like, oh, no, no, no. It's the worst, but it's a good game. Yeah, exactly. It's still worth playing. Yeah, I highly recommend you play it. So now we get to 2013 and Bioshock oh, Infinite. Man. Bioshock mm-hmm. Infinite was announced on August 12th, 2010 for release on Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 systems. On February 26, 2013, on December, uh, sorry, it was announced August 12th, 2010, and released on systems on February 26, 2013, on, De- 
On December 7th, 2012, Irrational Games announced that release would be delayed for another month to March 26, 2013. Previously known as Project Icarus, Bioshock Infinite is not a direct sequel or prequel to the original game, but carries many of the same gameplay concepts from the Bioshock title. Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot as far as uh, your your gameplay and stuff that is reminiscent of the other Bioshock games. Although I would almost say that the action is more forgiving because whereas in especially Bioshock one, because it's, it's infinite is more like one than it is two because you're playing as a human mm-hmm. uh, where in the first game you had to be careful when it came to ammo because uh, yes. it was expensive and you did not find a lot of it. Whereas in infinite, it was dropping all the time. So you never had to really worry about conserving ammo. Right. Um, but yeah, that, I would say that's one of the big things. And then you also have your, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're called plasmids. I can't, no, I can't remember what they're called, but you have your special abilities that you use. Well, okay. So basically, uh, you had double dual wielding, I think, in the second one as well. Like that was one of the new newer things. I mean, obviously Halo had kind of done it, but in Bioshock, that was kind of like a nice little thing to be able to throw fire and also s- skewer somebody with a screwdriver. Right, and it was. I would say the action's a lot, uh, a lot faster in, in Infinite. Infinite. Yes, Infinite, and this one is almost. I would say, for me. I love it just as much as the first one. Action-wise, I think Infinite is my favorite. I get that. I, I like it. I like a game when I, I can at least I can keep moving, and you can die, obviously, and you know you still got to be careful. But you know, one, it, it's almost like like playing the original Resident Evil and like having to be super careful and going like, oh, me, maybe I shouldn't. I should make sure I, that that guy doesn't see me so I can slip past him. And I'm like, no, I want to fight, dang it. Interestingly enough, you said Resident Evil. I would say this is more along the lines of the fun of, say, something like RE4. It, yes, uh, I would say Infinite is, whereas uh, I was thinking Bioshock 1. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's the exact same turnaround with Infinite and Resident Evil 4. Where you're like, you're like, like here you go. Have, we're going to let you have some more fun, but you're also going to be fighting more people. Yes, indeed. Bioshock Infinite takes place in 1912 in Columbia, a city suspended in the air through quantum levitation, built and launched in 1893 by the American government during the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Too much fanfare and publicity. However, it was later involved in an international incident by firing upon a group of Chinese civilians during the Boxer Rebellion. After being ordered to return to American soil, Columbia seceded from the United States and relocated above the clouds with its whereabouts unknown to the world. Uh, As with Rapture, Columbia's intellectuals were able to develop new technology, including Vigors, that grant the user new psychokinetic powers. At the same same time, strange rifts in the space-time continuum called Terrors appeared across the city and anachronistic elements can be seen and heard. The player character Booker DeWitt, a disgraced member of the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, I think that's a future episode, 
Pinkerton de Detective Agency, discharged after his actions at the Wounded Knee Massacre is sent to Columbia by Robert and Rosalind Lutess, or the Lutess twins, to recover Elizabeth, a young woman that had been kidnapped by Columbia's leader, Zachary Comstock, and protected by the robotic Songbird. Booker rescues Elizabeth, who subsequently accompanies the player as an AI controller ally, who appears to have control over the tears. And might I add, there's been a lot of games out there where you have a AI ally, and they're horrible. Kind of funny that we talked about Resident Evil 4 with Ashley. Mm -hmm. She's not great. Uh, she tends to get kidnapped a lot and whatnot. Uh, Elizabeth was the first time I'd played in a game where I was like, oh, she's actually helping me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you'd be in the middle of a fight and you start running low on ammo. All of a sudden you hear, Booker, catch. And like, she throws like a full thing of ammo for and the gun like, that you're using. You're like, I don't know where you came, but what these damn tears are all about, but I'm going to keep you around, lady. You're a beautiful woman. <laughs> You're beautiful. Oh, man, and that's a whole nother side tangent. All the all the triple X material that she's been fodder for. You know, I get it. People, she's a beautiful lady, but treat her right. Yeah, she's she's too nice. It'd be like, it's like, like when you see like someone do something like, Aerith from Final yeah. Fantasy. You're like, why? She, she's she's going to die soon. She's so Spoiler nice. Alert. <laughs> yeah. She is nice. It's like the nice characters they get, you know, it's like Lois from Family Guy. Yeah. Uh, she's just nice. Peter. Out, Peter. <laughs> anyway, so like I said, the young woman that has been kidnapped by this leader, Zachary Comstock, who's a real work of art. Um, the songbird is. I love the songbird. It's an excellent addition to the series. Mm -hmm. Booker rescues Elizabeth, who is subsequently accompanies as the AI controller ally, which is great. It, always giving you health and ammo. Their escape is hampered by fighting between the founders, those loyal to Comstock and the Vox Populi, residents of Columbia who have faced persecution. Booker comes to discover that Elizabeth is his daughter and that Comstock is a version of himself from one of numerous parallel universes. Dun, dun, dun! And now I know. I'm telling you that now where I didn't want to give you the spoiler from the first one. This is a more recent game, but it's more woven into the story. And there's so much in the beginning where it's like they're trying to go above your head, but it's right there in front of you. I don't think knowing that going into the game is going to is going to hamper the game because the ending of this game packs a wallop. The ending of the DLC? Even better. Well, that's because I think I think for me, it was the ending of the DLC. And I've I've I this is like my was our big selling point to TJ was like, you know, the game is already an, an incredible experience, but the DLC uh burial at sea for infinite is next level it it, it it takes the story to a place that you you just don't see coming um and that's you you play as elizabeth and it's a very different game play because it's more like stealth you're it's like you're playing metal gear solid but as elizabeth which is crazy because you just spent you know a good 35 ish hours tw yep. 20 to 35 hours, blowing through everything blowing through everything 
and you know doing the grappling hook jumping off which is oh, so now i want to cool. play that again <laughs> it is so cool and that's again a, a sign of a good game is is that you remember those cool areas or those cool setups or those mm-hmm. cool fights or those cool like just just these intense battles and i i mean looks gorgeous i think it's the same thing that i love about when horror movies are set during the day when you flip that that the ambience and the af- atmosphere, you you feel those strings, the creepy soundtrack still, yeah. but then all of a sudden it's made m- ten times almost more intense because you can see all the chaos happening around you. Yeah, well, and then you you come to find out that this whole time you think Bioshock Infinite is just its own story, and then it's in the ending of the DLC that you find out, oh no. It's all connected. Yeah. Everything is connected. All, all the things that you thought were... Uh, like it, it makes you... like I'm running the credits of, of the game, and I'm like, oh my God, so this means this. This means this. This is connected to this. And that, like, it's... I cried. Oh, it's, it was beautiful. Marty cried, and Marty's not a crier. He was like, I think this is one of the most beautiful gaming... And I think it... There were some people who were like, this thinks it's too smart. We don't like it. And I'm like... Who cares? If it makes you feel something, it's doing its job. It's impossible that it doesn't make you feel something. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I recommend that you play all three of these games. And like you said, the Burial at Sea DLC, it came out um, in February 2014 while promoting Burial at Sea Episode 2. Series director Ken Levine revealed that Bioshock Infinite would be Irrational Games' last game in the Bioshock series. At least for Irrational. And we talked about the downloadable content expansion. Uh, The first part came out November 12, 2013, and the second part came out March 25, 2014. And you have to play both parts. If you loved the first game, it's almost like the the game ends with the DLC circling back to the beginning in a way. It goes full circle. And it adds all the intense elements of Infinite and just makes it flow in such a beautiful narrative. Like I said... This whole series is like the original indie trilogy in like quality wise. And in some ways, I think the third installment expands on the first narrative to make it even better. Yes. And I think if you were to take those three games and you, you expand on that eight episode series based on just the first one, you could have an amazing four season epic. Just saying. I know Hollywood guys occasionally will dabble through these podcasting worlds but i'm throwing that out there i would love to do it i don't have the time i've got three kids well five and uh a girlfriend and a band about to put something out and i gotta put energy into that and josh (laughs) and i have music we're working on and i gotta put energy into that but i'm saying hollywood people this is man what a story what a story what a soundtrack amazing music i I want to ask you: It was there. What was the moment hmm. um, in the in the the series? There had there had to have been a moment that you constantly go back to, whether it's like watching on YouTube hmm. or or something. Going like that was the moment that I knew I was in love with this this experience. Um, in the first game, it was. Probably the moment you first enter into the little sisters, kind of like their hiding area. Oh, 
that was the first moment that I was like, this is a work, like, this is a work of art. Now, in the game overall, when I cemented the series as my favorite video game series of all time, it was the ending of Infinite. And then even exacerbated with the Burial, of C- Burial at Sea DLC Part 2 yes. at the end. Burial I get at chills part talking two. about yeah. it. Yeah, it's a- absolutely same. Um, the moment I lo- I'll constantly go back to, though, on YouTube is, and this is such a short, like, one minute part of infinite mm-hmm. is when you first start the game, you just get to Columbia and you're like, you're walking around like, Whoa, this is crazy. This giant city in the clouds and you hear singing and you're like, what is that? And you find it and it's a four piece quartet yeah. singing. God only knows. And I remember just stopping the first time and like, and watching them perform this and like, wow, this is, this is beautiful. And it, I, and to this is. day, like I still will, will go and seek that out because it's it's a beautiful rendition and it's just I don't know it's something about them taking this this piece of music that was clearly not out in you know 1912 but you know putting it their own spin on it and that's the thing that they did a lot with in Bioshock Infinite there's a couple different songs that were uh, I don't more modern that they gave yeah. that classic feel to. We'll let you guys get those surprises because if you haven't had that experience, you, you nailed it, man. I mean, I could do, and maybe in a future episode we can when we talk about like our favorite games of this year or whatever, we can circle back to some things on it after people have had a chance to listen to this and let us know what you guys think, but. The hearing those renditions, those nineteen twelve barbershop quartet versions of modern, it's amazing. It, yeah, because you don't you don't really get what it is until you stop and you listen. You're like, wait a second, is that is that this song? Yeah, like holy crap, it is. Yeah, this and is there, awesome. And there's not only just the one, like you mentioned. There's there's quite a few. Yeah. Good, solid, like, set list of them. Uh, so Bioshock Infinite, like we said, it ended up being Irrational's last game on this series. And Levine let go of most of the staff of Irrational Games in February 2017 and rebranded the division as, as Ghost Story Games within two games to work on smaller narrative titles. Totally cool. As long as he keeps making things, that's what I care about. Yeah, the man needs to continue making games because he's really good at them. He has a voice, like Kojima. He has a voice. Don't make, don't let these guys stop. Like Miyamoto, please, for the love of God, praise you and all great creations you have given us. Yeah, keep making games. You know, as long as they have ideas, even if they're not like, like in the studio with it. Like, like, hey, here, oh, Kojima, tell, tell us. Cool. Here's the story, but what's we need a cool spin, exactly a good twist. And he'll say, They're like, Oh, damn it, Kojima, you're so smart. <laughs> and they'll just cry tears of blood, and like <laughs> light will shoot from the sky. And then, yeah, it, it these guys are like the, the most incredible storytellers. And you, you get there, it's like a great director, you know, like we love Carpenter, John Carpenter for Halloween and the thing. And we love Stephen King for his storytelling in books and how yeah. they've impacted art. But it's always authentic narrative and their voice. 
you know? And this guy, Ken Levine, I add him in, you know, my plethora of my favorite storytellers. And as he said, he's continued, he wants to do smaller narrative story, stories. Uh, following Levine's decision, two games stated that the Bioshock series would continue, though, telling Game Informer they, quote, look forward to exploring the next Bioshock. In May 2014, two games stated that the work on the Bioshock series was continuing with 2K Marin at the helm. Despite the fact that in October 2013, 2K Marin had reportedly been shut down by 2K Games, it was reported that work on this title had started as early as 2015 at the Austin-based third-party studio Certain Affinity. However, by 2016, 2K decided to pull the project from Certain Affinity and bring it in-house, establishing a yet-to-be-named studio, as well as rebooting the development process. Previously, Kotaku had reported in 2018 that several employees from Hangar 13, another development studio, within uh, 2K Games had joined a new studio in the San Francisco area and were working on a project known under the working title Parkside, believed by other Hangar 13 employees to be a Bioshock title. 2K formally announced in December 2019 that a new Bioshock title was under development, but was still some years from release. The game is being developed by a new internal studio, Cloud Chamber, with offices based in San Francisco, 2K Marin's old offices, and a newly established location in Montreal. The studio is led by Kelly Gilmore, who had previously worked at Firaxis, who I do love them. They did the XCOM games. The lead staff include lead art director Scott Sinclair, who had worked on the first Bioshock, Jonathan Pelling as design director who had previously done work for Bioshock and Infinite, and Hogarth De La Plante as creative director after having worked on the other Bioshock games in numerous roles. Interesting. I'm I'm torn on this Mm because it's like, okay, it's cool that you got some people that were there for the original projects, but you don't have Ken Levine. I know. That's, that's... That's the trickiest part. And yeah. I do have some some updates on Levine because there was a game announced and I lost my shit when I saw it. So mm-hmm. there was a version of Bioshock for the PlayStation Vita handheld console ten- tentatively titled, tentatively known as Bioshock Vita, was announced at the 2011 Electronic Entertainment Expo by Levine during Sony's press event alongside the introduction of the console. Levine later described the title as still in the works. Unfortunately, in interviews in December 2012, Levine revealed that little work had been done on the game as the dealing with working with Sony was in the hands of Irrational's publisher, Take-Two Interactive. Though he was still interested in the title, Levine revealed in July 2014 that the deals between Sony and Take-Two had failed. Boo. Two Bioshock novels have been released. Bioshock Rapture, a prequel to the first Bioshock written by John Shirley, was published by Titan Books on July 19, 2011. Bioshock Infinite Mind and Revolt is a novella written by Joel Fielder and Ken Levine, offering insight into the world of Columbia and the motivations of Daisy Fitzroy, the leader of the Vox Populi. Did you read either of those books? No, I know somebody who read Bioshock Rapture. I did. Really? What did you think? I, well... It was a long, long time ago, but I do remember thinking it was a very good book. My brother actually was the one who had it. I have watched a fan film of Bioshock online on YouTube okay. that I'll link on our social media. It's fantastic. I think fans of Bioshock are some of the nicest people, too. And they they tend to be the type that like to dress up in 40s garb and play around as splicers, but it's cool. 
the thing with with Bioshock fans is, uh, yes, it is a, a successful series, but the thing, unfortunately, with Infinite, when Infinite came out, I remember it was getting like great reviews, but then it just kind of spun on its head out of nowhere, and everyone hated it. Yeah, there was a weird period where it was like we hate what we love. For yeah, some reason. and I, I remember thinking like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, it was strange. Because the whole time I still just loved it. Yeah, same thing. It was like, wait, I, we all loved this like three, three, four months ago, but now you just suddenly hate it for what reason? It's, it's the same thing that sprung up when Elden Ring became like this big game. Like, but, 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 and I get if you don't like it, that's one thing. But if you just like overwhelmingly are just like, it's this, it's this, I don't. It's not my thing. Mm. I hate it. They didn't do anything right. You want to know what it is? One out of ten? Like, don't give it a one out of ten. It's not a one out of ten. What it is, and I've known plenty of these types of people, that they are upset because they have this game series or this band or something that they love, you know, so much, but it's almost a niche thing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they have a new album, a new game, in the series or something that comes out and it gets so big and everybody's talking about it. And then it's, Oh, well uh, I loved it before it was cool (laughs) and now everyone likes it. So this is stupid. Now it's sold out. And you know, and that's the thing because you look at Bioshock one and two, I mean, who, what's, is there anybody that's noteworthy in the cast? No, but you get, uh, the infinite, Who's the, who's voicing our uh, our main guy here? Well, it's it's our, it's Troy, right? Troy Baker. Troy Baker, which is awesome, and he does a great job. I wouldn't have see. This is the thing. I knew people had talked about Troy Baker before. Plenty. I knew. I know he's a musician. He's very talented. Mm-hmm. He's obviously been in The Last of Us. He's he he's was in, in everything. He's in the show even. And I, mm-hmm. I squealed when I saw him in there. Won't say anything else about that. But if you haven't seen The Last of Us, oh, future episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's someone among the uh, the boys who's been extremely vocal about doing that. A frowny-faced one who can scream very good. But <laughs> uh, And you'll know that when you hear the new Glassfield. Holy shit. Uh, so anyway, and in other things. But let's just let's just say... He is incredible in it, and if 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 his presence bothers people, then they need to I don't know have a sandwich and a coke, go touch grass. <laughs> exactly. Just it, because something is now popular, it usually it means a good thing. Because uh, oh, okay, yeah, it's okay. Uh, let me tell you guys about something. <laughs> uh, Beard I, rant as, incoming. I, as a musician, mm-hmm. uh, but not in no successful means whatsoever. But I know, obviously, a lot of musicians. If you want somebody to be uh, take their, their craft and make it the best that they can professionally, um, to, can be, to be able to continue to do their craft, they need money. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just walk into a recording studio and say, Hey, pal, <laughs> I have a passion and I have a guitar. Let me record for free. They're not going to look at you. Well, I got a passion for recording things for free. It does not work that way. And recording studios are not cheap. Neither is distribution 
or having it edited or pressing or, or pressing mixers masters yes. or artwork or no different than making a movie you're having to pay someone to make sure the fucking croissants are on the table <laughs> you know that there's lighting and someone's holding a boomstick these are all things you got to pay money for and so if the thing that you love now is is more popular it usually means that they are getting more money mm-hmm. which means that they can continue doing this thing because they're you know there's significant others at home aren't going well you're not really making a lot of money doing this thing you know you really need to take care of your family and stuff they if we all do the thing we like because we love to do it yes yes but and and, and, and honestly it if everybody could do things and it was as easy as you said, like they could just walk in and be like, I play guitar, let me do it. We'd have some crap. We need, we need, we need things to get weeded out. We need people to work hard. We need people to show enthusiasm and somebody to come in and say like, I know the lore. I would love, I, I do this, this type of artwork. I would love to be the creative set designer for the next Bioshock game or to work their way into it and then take over, you know, Ken Levine one day will pass on and that's yeah. sad, but like you need those people to be inspired to then create the things that, that your children's children are going to enjoy. Exactly. And you would, if you were the, the director who's looking for somebody who can, who will know this lore and has the experience uh-huh. of working in the industry, you know, you're going to be more likely to say, I'm willing to pay. Mm-hmm. To have this person with their expertise. See, Dave Filoni, currently with the Star Wars universe, made some of the best Star Wars with The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. worked exclusively with George Lucas, got a handle on the EU for the Star Wars universe. He's put a seal of approval, not only from the fans, but from Lucas himself. Those, those things... You know, that's not just somebody walking in and being like, I like Ewoks. Can I make a cartoon? Exactly. (laughs) It's going to be somebody who isn't going to go in and be like, I'm going to make this thing. It's all about the things I love. Exactly. It's an, and that's the thing is that people who like video games can get a bad rep. And that's understandable because gamers are everywhere and everyone. But I think when you honor the story of the past and continue and honor the fans but also add your own personal flair you can be rewarded in this in this industry at least from my perspective but let's talk a little bit about we we mentioned that netflix has had it they've they bounced around with after the commercial performance of Watchmen, the studios were had concerns with the budget and how much money that they would get back uh, the performance of Watchmen, the studio had concerns with the $200 million budget for Bioshock and Gore Verbinski, who was involved, actually left the project. Universal subsequently brought a new director in to work with a smaller budget, but with whom Levine and 2K Games did not feel was a good fit for the material. So he had has had Hollywood, you know, training. I think, you know, we want an R rating. It has to be an it R rating. It has to. It has I mean, to be. I mean, I I don't need no PG thirteen unless it's like a PG thirteen from the seventies where things are in eighties where it was wild, but like it needs in this day and age needs an R rating. Um, yeah, because I'm sorry, the Big Daddy is gonna be brutal. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And that you you can't just have him be like, oh, I'm gonna smack this person and not use this no giant blood. drill on my arm. Right. In February 2022, it was announced that the film had re-entered development at Netflix, who will produce the film alongside Take Two and Vertigo Entertainment. Very well. The film is being developed as as the start of a potential cinematic universe. Francis Lawrence was slated to direct with Michael Green to write as of August 2022. Uh, The music to the games, the orchestral scores for Bioshock, Bioshock 2, and Bioshock Infinite were composed by Gary Scheiman. He's an American film, television, and video game music composer who graduated from the University of Southern California with a degree in music composition in 1978. Worked in the television industry, writing music for such television as Magnum P.I. Ooh. And The A-Team. I like your flair, buddy. 1986, he was composing for movies such as Judgment and Hit List at the time at the request of a friend in 1993, he composed the music for the video game Voyeur. Interesting. Voyeur is an interactive movie video game released for Philips CDI. Oh, boy, that's dated. Uh, but he did Destroy All Humans in 2005. Okay. And then from there went to Bioshock and Dante's Inferno. Did you ever play Dante's Inferno? i almost positive I did. Mm. Okay. I don't think I did. That was one where you're playing like a knight in hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's a bunch of... I remember playing it and being... Like, it was one of the first times playing a game. I'm like, wait, there's a bunch of dicks on this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as of December 9th, 2022, we have news of Ken Levine's next game. That's right. It's called Judas. At the Game Awards, a trailer for the upcoming... Upcoming title was revealed. While details are still under wraps, the trailer showcases what looks to be a narrative-driven single-player first-person shooter. The game is being developed by Ghost Story Games, a Take-Two interactive subsidiary, and this will serve as the studio's first title. I remember seeing that trailer and thinking the whole time, like, this, God, this looks so much like Bioshock. Yeah. The facial features and everything. Yeah. Uh, it said, we founded Ghost Story, quote, we founded Ghost Story Games to build upon the legacy of System Shock 2, Bioshock, and Bioshock Infinite, said Levine in a recent press release. With Judas, we've created an entirely new world and set of characters while exploring different approaches to single-player narrative first-person shooters. I almost wonder if it's going to have like a biblical sense to it. With Judas, Judas. Iscariot, something like that. While no release date for Judas was announced, we do know that the game will be available on PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC via Steam and the Epic Game Store. Hell yeah. I dig it. All right. Well, hey, we did it in under an hour. That's the Bioshock series. Yeah. I mean, if we haven't made it clear enough, you know, it's this game is constantly on sale. This whole series is um, the remastered collection. Like I said, it was only it's nine bucks last time I looked at it, and not, normally I think it's like thirty nine or forty nine. I would say, you know, if you haven't played it and you have some interest, just if it's not on sale, just give it a couple weeks. You'll probably it'll be on sale somewhere else. Totally. It's it's worth playing. It plays great. It's always on sale. It's remastered. It's beautiful. I love it. So would you kindly check it out? And would you kindly 
like our Instagram, Zanzizi Podcast on the Instagram. Email us suggestions. Click the links in the descriptions. It's all there. The Discord. The the you can even buy our merch. And I haven't said this in a while. We have a Teespring or a spring.com set up. You can buy merch. Just click on the links. The links are listed in the description in the top of our Instagram page or mm-hmm. in the link for the episodes. YouTube videos go up. We have like three or four a month now that go up because I use Zoom. And we just recently posted a full video episode of our Predator conversation, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And we have more episodes to come before season one wraps in November, folks. So if you'd like to suggest episodes, Podcast at gmail.com. That's been our episode. We love you. Have a great one. But long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. Still go on, believe me. The world could show nothing to me. So, what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you. Presentation of Beer City Media.